Hi, as we said earlier, my name is Pastor Rick Eford. I have the privilege of serving here in the Valley for over 40 years in pastoral ministry. And, uh, and it's been a great joy to be a part of Phoenix Bible Church. Uh, I was talking with some of you about the fact that I think it was about a year ago that I was here to preach for the last time. I was here and my wife was here to do some marriage conferences and some other types of things like that. But it's such a joy and I love the fact that Tim asked me to come and to be here tonight so he and his family get a break to be with their family. And I just want to say it has been such an amazing thing for me to watch how God has been at work at Phoenix Bible Church. Uh, you all are doing such a great thing here in the city. And I love seeing that. And that's reflective of what the church should be about. You know, historically, we look around and we see there's so many things that have been positive that have happened through the church. There's not just people coming to faith spiritually, but there's been so many medical advances and hospitals built and education and translation of different uh, words and, and teaching. Uh, there's been so many social services that have been done in the name of Christ. It's a good thing. But we know today that the church is really under fire. And why is it? You, George Barna, in some of his uh, data and statistics, are looking at the fact that only about 30% of people have a positive view of Protestants and of evangelicals in our culture. Why is that? We know there's a quote that was given you know, by Gandhi, and that's this. He really liked Christ, but it was to Christ's followers he had a hard time with. And so what he was looking at is he saw the teachings of Jesus, he saw the life of Jesus, but he saw a big disconnect between Jesus and people who claimed to be Christ followers. That's one of the things that thinks big here. Ravi Zacharias, who came to faith, he's Indian, he's an apologist, not meaning he makes an apology for the gospel, you know, saying like, I'm so sorry. Instead, he is a defender of the faith. And uh, he said one of his biggest things that troubled him was a Hindu friend of his that asked this question. said, if this conversion you speak about is truly supernatural, then why are not more evidence, why there's not more evidence in the lives of so many Christians that I know? And that's a valid question. Now, Ravi Zacharias died not finding the answer out to that question. He just died a few months ago, and we believe he's with Jesus today. And he probably understands things more clearly today. But this friend of his, I don't know what his status is, but there was a disconnect in his mind too between what he heard of Jesus, what he saw in Jesus' life, and what he sees in the lives of Jesus or Christ followers. And so the question I would have is this. We, it's not for lack of education. Even though there is a great biblical illiteracy in our land today, it's not for opportunities. We have so many different translations. We have so many different churches, so many different Bible studies, so many different radio programs, television programs. There's so many different things that are going on. I don't think it's a lack of information. I think instead it's a lack of power. A lack of power to follow out what Christ has called us to be and to do. You know, I was thinking about that even today as I was getting ready and preparing for the message. And... Uh, my wife and I have been doing some stuff at our house, trying to make it a better place for guests that come and stay with us and other things, and a hot water heater went out, so we needed to replace a hot water heater. Well, the one we had was 20 gallons. It wasn't very much, and it worked off of 110 power. When we got a larger water heater, the same price as the smaller one, we found out it took 220 power. So we had to have an electrician come out and change the outlet and change the power source that would fit for that hot water heater was also a place where people would plug in a hairdryer 
in the bathroom, we put in a little uh, refrigerator under the counter type of thing so people could have a place like that. It'd be a hospitality suite. And uh, we found every time you plug in the hair dryer and you turn on certain lights, the, the refrigerator would go off. That's not a good thing. It was underpowered. And so we had to have some things put in as far as some additional breakers, larger ones for that. Well, what is it in the church that may cause that lack of power, cause us to be so impotent to be who Christ called us to be and to do what Christ called us to do? Well, I think there have been a number of people who've spoken to this. <coughs> Excuse me. Chuck Swindoll, who's a noted Bible teacher, uh, wrote a book entitled Flying Closer to the Flame. It was about developing a more intimate, personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, something you've been studying about. And he said, we need to risk that and fly closer to the flame of the Spirit of God. Billy Graham wrote an incredible book on the Holy Spirit that I would highly recommend either of these books. And then Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now known as Crew, also revolutionized thinking, not just with the four spiritual laws about how to share your faith in Christ, but in a little booklet similar to those called The Spirit-Filled Life, and how many Christians were living in impotency, not in power. And that's a disconnect, because Jesus said this, is recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, and when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you shall have power. You'll have dynamite. Dunamis is the word that's used there. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Well, the power that's there is not in you and it's not in me. It's in the person work of the Holy Spirit that you've been studying for the last number of weeks. And I applaud you for that. Tonight we want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to live transformed lives. And I want to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to a book in the New Testament, Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, and look at what it says there. Because long before Chuck Swindoll or, or Billy Graham or even Bill Bright wrote things about the Holy Spirit, God directed the Apostle Paul to write down these words about the Holy Spirit as well and about how we can live differently. Here's what he says in chapter 5 of Galatians, beginning in verse 16. But I say to you, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, that's one of my favorite words in all Scripture, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now we look at this and one of the things that we see is that within the church there's great potential for good. There's also great potential for evil and to even malign the name and the work of Christ. That's been true historically and it's no different today. The choice is we, we are able to make a choice because of the Spirit of God that lives within us. Notice what it says here. In the very beginning, there's a command. It's walk in the Spirit. Walk is a word that's used in the Bible to talk about how we live. If you think about it, it's a really good word because the walk is that we walk a step at a time. How do we live? We make a decision at a time. It's not like a whole lifestyle. It's one step at a time. And that's exactly what he says. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. It's a command. It's a choice that we need to make. And it's a choice that's made ongoing. The tense that's used here, even the Greek language, is a present. It's a durative. It's an ongoing action. And it is decision after decision after decision. It's not you make this decision one time. It's you have to make it and remake it and remake it and remake it. Like my wife and I have been married like 47 years now, by God's grace. Michelle and I were talking about that before the, the meeting we have here. And it's, it's amazing to see how we just live a day at a time. We live a decision at a time. But she has to forgive me for missteps I make. I forgive her for mistakes. And I would have never dreamed like that we would have been married this long. Well, I guess I did because I took a vow and it was forever. But 47 years, that's a long time. But if you take it a day at a time, a step at a time, a decision at a time, that's how you get there. And some of those steps have been good. Some of them have been bad. And we've had to ask forgiveness and to repent of them. That's what we do in life too. So there's a promised result though that's in this. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill or gratify the desires of the flesh. And the important thing is here, there's these two different dynamics that are going on. In our lives, when we came to know Jesus Christ, we still live in the same body. We still have the same temptations. We still have the things that are appealed to. Some would call that the sin nature. But a new thing has taken place. When we accept Jesus, that's God's Spirit takes up residence within us. He takes up residence within us, as Jesus said, to lead us into truth and to empower us to live a different way. Now there's this battle. Now there's a battle between that what I want to do, which is the easier path, and perhaps more the sensuous path in my life, and that which is a higher plane, and that is to walk in the Spirit. So what are we going to do? We have to make a choice as to how we're going to do. Now, one of the best ways to know about what the fruit of the Spirit is is to look at the opposite of that. We look at the contrast. And in that contrast, we can have a better idea of how we should live. Notice the words that are used there. These are broken into areas. There's the sexual sins, three of them. There's religious sins. There's societal sins. And then there's abuse of alcohol and other substances. He said, sexual immorality, the term there is pornea, where we get the word porn. That's any illicit sexual activity. Any sexual activity with someone that's not your spouse. Impurity. That's uncleanness in word, thought, or deed. It's a more general term that's there. He goes on to talk about sensuality, which is more open, brazen, shameless promoting of the sensuality and sexuality. And we see that in our society. 
there's such a brazenness about this. Well, if we enter into that, if we proclaim that, it becomes a part of our humor, it becomes a part of our jokes, it becomes a part of our television, which imitates life. And as we do that, he's talking about this as sensuality or debauchery. There's religious aspects of sin that he talks about. Idolatry is an act of the flesh. Well, what's idolatry? It's allegiance to or leaning to or looking to anything or anyone other than God to provide my needs, to give me purpose, to give me what I think is fulfillment and satisfaction in life, to provide for me. That's idolatry. We say, well, we don't worship idols today. We may not set them up on our shelf, but there's an awful lot of personalities we look at, whether they be sports figures or politicians or people in Hollywood, and there are idols. We want to emulate them perhaps more than Jesus. We're more interested in their lives than about the life of Jesus. It may be sitting in our driveway. The car we drive could be an idol. The house we live in could be an idol. The person we want to be with, if we put them ahead of God, that's idolatry. That's a form of religion. Because God said, I'll have no other gods before me. Anything, anyone other than that is idolatry. He talks about sorcery or witchcraft. It's interesting. That's how they oftentimes, in the word that's there is a word from which we get pharmacy. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have pharmaceuticals, but I'm saying that's a word that's used in the Greek language because oftentimes they would use drugs, they would use illicit things to gain a sense of, of some, um, I don't know, extra experience, some extra sensitivity, sort of like a peyote vision quest or something like that. I don't know, that may have been one, but it's saying witchcraft or sorcery. Whenever we look to the enemy, not to the true giver of life. The societal one, there's a list of these things. Listen to what they are. Enmity, that's feelings and actions of hatred. And because the word is plural there, it indicates between groups. A lot of the racial and social unrest that we see right now, some of that's legitimate. Some of that is right. It is right to be angry about injustice. And some of it goes over the line. And it's because there have been groups of people that have hated and had intimacy toward one another. That should not be the case. Strife, there's discord and divisions between people due to this hatred. Jealousy is self-absorption and lack of contentment. Fits of anger, outburst of anger, rage. We talk about road rage where someone cuts us off. Rivalries has to do with self-promotion and positioning even at others' expense. I'm out for me and for what it means for me. Dissensions and divisions. Quarrels over people, over positions, over things. There's envy. There's a wrongful desire for what someone else has. Instead of being happy for them, we want it. Because how could they get it and I don't have it? You see that the fruit of the flesh or the works of the flesh are not what we should be walking in, but we see too often. He concludes this list with drunkenness, which is an excessive use of alcohol or any substance. Orgies, group drunkenness, and partying, partying hard type of thing. He's saying that should not be a part of our lives as followers of Jesus. And then to show it's not an exhaustive list, he says, and things like this. He says, I want to tell you, people who practice these things, it's their lifestyle they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Not because they lose their salvation. 
Not because they can win their salvation by living a certain way, but it's evidence that their Spirit of God is not active in their life, meaning they're not a follower of Jesus. That's the bad side. That's the dark side of this. The good side is to prevent out there what is an evidence of the Spirit, and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice this, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruit that you can produce or I can produce. It's the fruit of God's Spirit, His residence within us. We produce by yielding to Him, allowing Him to do this within us, not trying to manufacture it on our own. The fruit of the Spirit, first, is love. Love, not like culture speaks of, not like our songs speak of, but love that's a self-sacrificing love where I sacrifice to meet a need that's in someone else's life, to act toward them in a way that's in their best interest. C.S. Lewis is an amazing author, and in his book, Mere Christianity, in his chapter on charity or love, he talks about this. Some people confuse love with like. He says, it's not about like. We have likes, and it's not even we're called to like everybody because there's going to be different preferences in our life. Like some people like one type of food and other people like another. There's, that's normal. That's healthy. He said, don't bother as to whether you like someone. Act toward them in love in a way that's in their best interest. And he said, this is an interesting thing. If you do that, you will find yourself liking them more or at least disliking them less. That's love. That's biblical. That's exactly what we're called to do. Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which is promised to those who abide in Christ. It's something that goes way beyond the circumstances. It's a deep felt presence of God in our lives apart from the difficulties and challenges of our life. One of mine and Emily's favorite books is called 31 Days of Praise. It's written by Ruth Myers. And I want to read to you something from, from the first of it because she is a woman who doesn't write as what I would call an armchair quarterback or Monday morning quarterback. She's somebody that's in the game. And she says this in the preface to it. This book has been in the making for years and it was born during my years as a widow. It flowed out of truths that along motivated me to trust and worship the Lord in various seasons and experiences of my life. As a single girl in my native land, as a young wife sojourning in Taiwan, in the Philippines, and in Hong Kong, during my husband's months of intense suffering with cancer before the Lord took him home, during my years as a widow with two young children. She says that I discovered the joy of the Lord in a new way after my first husband died at the age of 32. I grieved and shed my tears. I felt deep loneliness along with the pressures of being left alone to raise two young children. And at times I felt overwhelmed in making all the family decisions. And yet, at the same time I found bright rays of sunlight shining into my heart. How grateful I was to the Lord for His many blessings. And she names her children for Brian and Doreen, and for the joys of being their mother, for other people in my life and their loving help, for special answers to prayer and for small delights, such as gazing at a sunset or a unique branch silhouetted against the sky. And listen to this. And even more, 
The Lord blessed me through times of worship and praise, often with tears of joy mingled with sadness. Tears of joy mingled with sadness. This joy that is ours and our potentially ours through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not dependent upon our circumstances. He goes on to say that another is peace. That's an inner response and a quietness even in the face of difficult and adverse circumstances. And I'm going to tell you, like it says in Philippians chapter 4, it defies definition and it defies human understanding. It doesn't make sense, but it's evidence of the Spirit of God living within us. Johnny Erickson Tata, who as a young teenager, athletic young woman, dove into the Chesapeake Bay and hit a stump that was under the water and broke her neck, and she's lived the rest of her life as a quadriplegic. Here's something she said. Sometimes God allows what He hates to accomplish what He loves. I've got to tell you, that's peace. When in the midst of such abject suffering and difficulty, you can still say, as the hymnist says, it is well with my soul. The man having written that after just having lost his three daughters. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bellows roll, whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That type of peace is not possible, a part of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, and yet it is available if we will but trust him. Patience. Patience is long-suffering under persecution. i got to tell you, my mind has gone a lot, especially over the last months, to the patience that was shown by Dr. Martin Luther King, who stayed the course, who promoted equality. Instead of people being judged by the color of their skin, crying out that they would be evaluated by the content of their character, he was jailed, he was spit upon, and yes, he was killed. But he showed incredible patience, perseverance, bearing up under opposition of inordinate amounts. I thank God for him and for his example and that more would follow that. Kindness is another fruit of the Spirit. Benevolence in action I just sat down. We went back to visit my mom and dad a few weeks ago. They're 90 years old. They've never seen. I told you, I, I think the last time I preached here was about a year ago. I know it was because it was right before the birth of our first grandchild. And God blessed us just a few weeks later with little Hannah, who turns one year old on this Saturday. Well, we wanted her to go back and visit her great-grandparents because they had never met her. They're in North Carolina. We live out here. I want to tell you, as we were flying in, my wife and I stopped, and we had a little bit of a layover in Atlanta. And we're sitting there, and a young man comes in and sits down across from us, and we're all doing our social distancing thing. And, but just struck up a conversation with him. Ask him about himself, his family, ask what he was doing. Just trying to, total stranger, never met this guy before in our lives. And so we do that, and then it came time for us to leave for a flight. And so... We get up, and he had asked me a few minutes before. My wife had gone to the restroom and said, well, by the way, Rick, what do you do? And I told him as a pastor. I'm not ashamed of that, but I usually don't lead with it because most people don't know how to deal around pastor types. 
and they adopt some different persona, and I'd rather people just be real. And so we talked a little bit more about that. He said, well, my girlfriend and I were just having some conversation about that the other day, and we had a little bit more talk. Well, we left. We invited him to come, if he was ever in Phoenix, to come to our home, come stay with us. And we get on the plane and sat down. I gave him one of my business cards. And I sat down on the plane. I looked at my email before they shut it down, and I was so surprised and pleased to get this email. Let me tell you what it says. His name is Gary. It says, Dear Rick and Emily, it was a pleasure meeting you two today in the Delta Lounge. Thanks for sparking up the conversation and for being a kind presence. I will definitely add you guys to my list and keep you in mind if I'm ever in Phoenix, because we'd invite him to come and stay with us if he wanted. Please feel free to do the same if you find yourself in Atlanta for more than a layover. Safe travels and have a blessed weekend. Why is that so different? Because during that very time that we are in that airport, there were, there were protests and there were riots that were going on throughout this land. Gary's black, and as you can see, Emily and I are white. You know what? That doesn't matter. Here we are as people. We need to interact. And there was something he sensed because he said, thank you for the kind welcome. I don't know what words of kindness, where that will take people, what it will do. I don't know much about him other than what we experienced there, but I pray that God will use that in his life and in others. There's goodness it's an internal uprightness of soul and external actions of goodness and rightness. There's faithfulness. That's consistency. Trustworthy, reliable, consistent. Eugene Peterson, who, who did the, the paraphrase, uh, the message, says this in one of his commentaries. He calls that a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction is what faithfulness is. I pastored with the guy, Malcolm Cronk, who lived to be over 100 years old. i got to tell you, up to a few years before his death, he was still preaching the Word. And I talked to him, he said, you know, Rick, I feel like I've come full circle. I started out preaching as a young boy in churches that didn't have anybody else, and now I'm doing the same thing. And he was a guy that's preached to multiple thousands on very big international scales. And yet his love for the Lord and his love for His Word led him to that faithfulness all those years. I'm so glad to have a mentor like that in my life. Gentleness, which is submissive to God's Word, and it's being considerate of others even when discipline is required. You know, don't confuse gentleness with weakness. Not at all. There is a power, there is a strength in gentleness. There was a guy who left his wife for another woman, and I sat down with him after many times of trying to to beg him to make a different choice. And I got in his face. And I called him out on this. And I'll never forget him saying, man, I thought pastors were supposed to be gentle and meek and mild. And I said, nowhere is that confused with weakness. And what you're doing is wrong. And it's hurtful for you. It's hurtful for your family. It's hurtful for the name of Jesus. No, we can be gentle and firm as parents with children and should be but gentleness nonetheless. And even as we confront other things, we need to be gentle looking to ourselves, it says in Galatians. And self-control, personal discipline. That's sort of everything else hangs on this. Self-control. It's sort of ironic that we talk about control of the Spirit and self-control. 
basically saying, look, have your body under submission. Have it in check. And that doesn't just happen. We need to train it. Paul told Timothy that he needed to train his body for godliness. The word he used there for train is the same word from which we get gymnasium. You need to work it out. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Discipline, said it this way, don't just try, train. Train, it's required. Our walk in Christ, our maturity is not just going to happen any more than our studies in school. You can't just lay your head on a pillow and stick a book under it and think you're going to get it by osmosis. There's got to be study. The same thing is true about our walk with Christ. We need to train for godliness and bring our body under submission. You know, I just read a book. I've read this book a long time ago, but I used it in a thing that we're doing on Wednesday nights. And there's something in here that I think is really worthwhile. It was for me, and I, I commend it to you. And it's this. It's written by Stephen Yance, uh, Philip Yancey, and it's entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? If you put one word over all these things, the presence of the Spirit of God evidences grace, God's grace. Listen to what he said, because I think it's pertinent for the climate that we're in right now on multiple levels. So listen carefully to Philip Yancey's words. Politics deals with externals, borders, wealth, crimes. Authentic forgiveness deals with the evil in a person's heart, something for which politics has no cure. Virulent evil, racism, ethnic hatred spreads through society like an airborne disease. One cough infects an entire busload. The cure, like a vaccine, must be applied one person at a time. When movements of grace do occur, the world must pause, fall silent, and acknowledge that indeed forgiveness offers that kind of a cure. And then he goes on to talk about an event that happened in history in 1987 in Ireland, just west of Belfast. He talks about a man who was there, Gordon Wilson, who was a devout follower of Jesus, of the Methodist tradition, and he had come there to work as a draper. But he was there with another group of Protestants trying to celebrate on Veterans Day the death of people who had gone before them, and a bomb went off. This bomb killed a number of people. It killed 11 people and injured 63 others, including his 20-year-old daughter. And her last words to him were, Daddy, I love you. Spinal injuries, broken up. She died at the hospital a few hours later after getting out of all of this. A newspaper later proclaimed, Yancey says, no one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. No one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace towered over the miserable justifications of the bombers. For speaking from his hospital bed, Wilson said, I have lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. Gordon Wilson, led by the Spirit of God after he got out, led a crusade for Protestant-Catholic reconciliation in Ireland. There were Protestant extremists that were going to retaliate, but they were so shamed if they were to do this, saying it would be a bad look on our movement, so they didn't retaliate. He even went to the IRA and he told them that he had forgiven them. He said this, he said, I know that you've lost your loved ones like I have. 
Surely enough is enough. Enough blood has been spilled. When Gordon Wilson died in 1995, the Irish Republic, Northern Ireland, and all of Great Britain honored this and kept this ordinary Christian citizen who had gained fame for his uncommon spirit of grace and forgiveness. Gordon Wilson was an ordinary man, but he loved and served and followed an extraordinary God. And through the power of his spirit that lived within him, he was able to do uncommon things and had inordinate influence in that part of the world. You and I are ordinary people. And God's given us each a sphere of influence. The question I would have is, are we using that? Do we choose to walk according to the Spirit who lives within us? Or are we choosing to continue to walk in the flesh? You know, we have that choice. I pray that increasingly I will walk in the Spirit and that you as my brothers and sisters will do the same and that eternity will tell a difference because of our example, just like so many of the ones we've mentioned here. Well, that's above our pay grade. So could we pray and just ask the Spirit of God to accomplish what we know His will is? Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank You for the men and women who are here, either gathered here tonight, or who will be watching you know, by video on Sunday and perhaps at other times. I pray that You will use the truth of Your Word to radically revolutionize our lives. And I pray You'd start with me. Father, I want to continue to grow in my understanding of who You are. And I want to continue to grow in my commitment to follow Jesus wherever He leads. And I know that in order to do that, I have to rely upon Your Spirit, not my ability. Father, thank You again for the great work that You're doing through Phoenix Bible Church and the people who are here. And I pray that You will bless the work of their hands and that Jesus will receive the glory. For We pray this tonight in His name. Amen.